Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. We are a church with a heart for people and the message of Jesus. It is our desire that you'll be drawn closer to God through today's teaching. To access notes from today's message, go to foxriverchristian.org slash message. Thanks for listening. Great to see you today. Hey, I'm Pastor Rob. I want to welcome you here to Fox River. Let's also welcome all those who are joining us online. Can you do that with me? All right. Also, we have our Muskego campus and our Waterford campus. And it's so great to be able to gather, as we've mentioned, as the church. You know, if there was one thing that you could keep front and center and know beyond a shadow of doubt that it would make your life better and everyone else around you better, would you do it? It'd be obvious, wouldn't it? If there was one thing that you spent your life on and by the end of your life you knew you had fulfilled God's purpose for you, would you do that? I think we'd all say yes, right? Well, you know what? A couple of authors in 2013 named Gary Keller and Jay Papazan, they wrote a book that became a New York Times bestseller, and it was called The One Thing. And in it, they coined the focus question, where they encouraged their readers to ask this question, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easy or unnecessary? That's awesome, isn't it? They said, ask yourself that question every single day so that you focus on the most important thing. Well, we've been looking at the one thing, and it's not a summary study of Keller and Papazan's book, okay? It's actually a study of what Jesus lifted up as the number one thing that you can do in your life. And what we've seen through that is early on in the first week, in fact, that we can't do this without our source, because that one thing comes from God first. And not only that, but we were created for that one thing, as Pastor Bill um, shared with us in week two and gave us some great ideas on what that would look like. And then last week, Pastor Guy told us that there's an actual target for that one thing, and it is to love like Jesus loved. And today what we're going to learn is this, everything hinges on that one thing. I say, come on, that's a pretty, pretty strong statement there, isn't it? It's like, I'm not sure I'm buying that. Well, if I told you Jesus is the one who said it, would that convince you? Would it maybe push you a little bit closer at least to saying, ah, maybe I better listen then. Jesus actually says that this one thing, everything else hangs on it. It all does. And where he said that was in Matthew chapter 22. You don't need to turn there. Let me read verses 37 through 40 to you. It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I don't know about you. When I first hear that, I think, wait a minute. I thought you said one thing. One thing, right? And I was thinking you can't have two number ones. There was a great Hollywood philosopher who said, you know what? You can't have two number ones because that makes 11. Do this. Do this for me. And say one thing. You're struggling, aren't you? Come on. One thing. It just doesn't compute, does it? It's like I thought you said one. It is one thing. You see, the one thing is love. 
God says to love, and it has two, two directions. It has two recipients. Did you catch what those two recipients are? Love who? Love God. And then love who else? Your neighbor. So take those two and cross them. It's one thing. We're to love. We're to love God, and we're to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. When everything hangs on one thing, we know that makes it first. It makes it primary. And this isn't the only time Jesus gets into this discussion. In fact, he has several discussions about loving God with everything within you and loving others. In fact, you would not find a Jewish individual, Jesus included, that wouldn't have been taught this from a very young age. Every parent made it their goal to pass this on to their children. These statements come from two different places in the Old Testament, multiple different places, but most well-known, loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 5. And we've understood that to be called the Shema. And then Leviticus 19.18 tells us to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what these commandments have come to be known as, this love commandment is the greatest commandment. That's a term for it, actually, today. The greatest commandment, because Jesus was asked, as we saw there in Matthew, what is the greatest commandment? And he tells them, this is the greatest commandment, to love. To love God, to love your neighbor. And so, it wouldn't be surprising to see Jesus interact with others on this very topic. And we'll see that over and over again. And so, with that, we're going to see this, that he gets into a discussion with people because they ask good questions. And we're going to see one of those places, Luke chapter 10. So let me ask you, grab your Bible if you would. If you've got a physical Bible, just go about three quarters in, a little bit further than that, and you'll find the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew's the beginning of the New Testament. And so just turn right after you get to Matthew if you find that, and you'll find Luke. And then you'll see that we see this interaction that Jesus has. And let me ask you this. How many questions does it take to get to the one thing? Well, in this case, it's going to take four questions and a phenomenal story to get to the one thing, to get it to the level, to rise to the level that Jesus wants it to rise to. And they're fantastic questions between two individuals, Jesus and an expert in the law. Now, when you think expert in law, right away, even you'll see in the Bible, sometimes they're called lawyers, but not the lawyers that we think of. This was somebody who knew the law of the Bible, the law and the prophets, and he knew it back and forth because he would study it regularly. And so he's very knowledgeable. And what we get to see in Luke chapter 10 is we get to see this dialogue. Like I said, four questions and a story. And let's look at question number one in verse number 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Anybody else thinking, what a great question. What do I do to inherit eternal life? I want to know the answer to that. Now, knowing what I know today, I'd be sitting on the edge of my seat. You know what I'd be thinking? Come on, Jesus, come on. I've got this one. I know the answer to this one, man. I can't wait. Tell him, Jesus, come on, tell him. Tell him all he needs to do is believe in you. But that's not what Jesus does. Do you know what he does? As that 
expert in the law, threw the ball over the net, Jesus taps it back to him. He doesn't slam it back down in his face. But he volleys it right back to him with a question. The second question that we see in the passage here. And so if you just go down one more verse, verse number 26. This is Jesus' question of the expert in the law. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Do you see what Jesus just did there? Something that I know I need to do more of. You see, this is a discovery question. It's a question that requires the original asker to share his opinion, his interpretation even. You see, Jesus didn't just give this dogmatic, matter-of-fact answer. He didn't judge him for his question, thinking, of all the people, you should know the answer to this. He didn't do any of that. He simply asked a question that we all need. We all need it as a tool that we carry around with us. And that question was something like this. What do you think? Parents, you ever tried doing that? It's hard, isn't it, with your kids? When they come and ask you a question, I'm not saying because you're annoyed with them, then it's easy to do it. But when you really want to know what's going on in here, try asking the question, what do you think about that? Do you know why it's so hard? A little transparency here. For me, honestly, in order to ask what do you think, that means I actually have to care what they think. Anybody else afraid of asking what do you think because you're afraid that someone might tell you? Anybody else there with me? Yeah. That's not always easy, is it? And then if they tell me, we might get into an argument. Or if they tell me, I might be obligated to something else even. And so it's not real easy to ask, but we need to ask, just like Jesus asked this expert in the law, allowing him to give his interpretation of something that he studied on a regular basis. How many times am I willing to ask that question? It's so tempting to jump just past it and to show that I know. I know what I know. And sometimes showing off how much I know while showing how little I really care. And that's not a good place to be if you're in a conversation. And so we need to learn to be listeners. You see, Jesus, he didn't become judgmental. He didn't become dogmatic, even though he was being tested. What he did instead was he loved this man enough. He respected him enough that he asked him, what do you think? The expert in the law knew exactly what to say. Like I said, he was taught this from a very young age. And you know what he told Jesus? The great commandment. Just like that. No problem. No hesitation. Not at all. Worded just a little bit different. But he answers him. In verse 27, where he says this. He answered. Let's read it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody else struggling with what the great commandment, the number one thing is anymore? No. No. He knew it. He says, love. Love God. 
and love your neighbor. Remember how I told you I would have been sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for Jesus to say, what? Believe in me. That's not what he said. That's not the answer that this man gave. He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. So Jesus is going to set him straight, right? Jesus got to set him straight. He can't let him think that. But let's look at verse number 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. What? You've got to be kidding me. Where's faith in that answer? Where's grace in that answer? Where's belief in that answer? What happened to it? Here's what happened to it. You can't love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself unless you've received the love of God first. You see, God tells us that we're able to love because he first loved us. Anybody struggling with this commandment a little bit? Anybody? Anybody like, okay, can you define all your heart for me? Because I'm not sure that I'm quite there. Maybe you say, oh, no, I'm there. The whole God part, check. Okay, how about this love your neighbor as much as you love yourself? Anybody else struggling? Like, I, I don't know if I can, I, man, I don't know if I can keep that one. I'm just not sure. What should we do about that? Maybe pray? How about we do that right now? Because I don't think we can do this without God. Do you? Let's ask him. God, would you help us? It is impossible for us to fulfill these commands, this one thing, to love like that without experiencing your love first and foremost. And to be reminded how Jesus came and you tell us he came and you sent him out of love for us. And out of love for us, he was nailed to a cross so that we could be saved. And help us, Lord, to be able to love others because we've experienced and received that love. We praise you and thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. We need God's help. There's no doubt about it. I'm sure that the expert in the law thought that too, so he couldn't let well enough alone. Don't you hate that? Man, it's like, I can't leave it there. I, I just can't leave it there. So he's got to ask another question. He has to. It's like, there's no way I can leave this there. So, knowing that God is the source of love, and we love him because he first loved us, he goes on. We even know this as we learned last week, as Pastor Guy shared with us, that Jesus took this even a little bit, even a little bit further in John, where John tells us Jesus' new commandment, John 13, 34, and 35. He says, A new command I give you love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I can't love like that. Not without Jesus. I can't love like that. Not without receiving his love first. There is no way. And this man understood that himself. And so he has another question for Jesus. And we see it in verse number 29. And I love this verse. 
Because what God does is he gives us a little bit of extra information that we couldn't have gotten otherwise. He opens up this man's heart. The man doesn't open his heart himself. But he does give us a little bit of insight, not just the words that come out of his mouth, but what's going on in his heart. And why I love it is because it reveals my heart honestly as well. And it tells us this. After he'd heard love God and love your neighbor is the number one thing. It tells us this about this expert in the law. In verse 29, but he wanted to, and somebody read that word with me, what? Justify himself. So he asked, let's ask the question, what is it? And who is my neighbor? And Bill's like, no, don't go there. Don't go there. What are you thinking? I want to be in control of my neighbor. Anybody else? If I can tell you who my neighbor is, I get to decide who I love. It's like, don't go there. Why did you have to ask? Why? Why couldn't you leave good enough alone? Just leave it up here. Don't be getting practical and all that stuff. I mean, don't obligate me to anything. Why did you have to do that? And we see this, and it's like, oh, my goodness. And Jesus doesn't have a question yet. Instead, he has a story. Because sometimes we ask questions that we're not ready to have answered. And they're important. Like this one. Who exactly does Jesus want me to love now? I, I got the God one, okay? But... but who exactly is it that Jesus wants me to love? And he needs to tell a story in order for us to understand this. In order for it to go from theory to a reality with emotion and texture and color. For this answer, we need a story. It's a story of the Good Samaritan. How many have heard that before? It's simple. It has four characters. One of those characters is a Jewish man who was robbed and beaten. Three individuals who encounter the man in his distress. Two of them are religious people, religious leaders coming probably from the temple. One is a priest, which we're familiar with. Another one is a Levite or a, a temple worker. And then there's an unusual one in this story. But his name's in the title, so he must be important, right? He's the Samaritan. And a Jew would not have called him a good Samaritan because there's no such thing. You see, a Samaritan was despised, was rejected in this culture. He didn't belong there. He was an outcast, despised by the Jews. And so this takes on a whole new meaning. As we see Jesus tell the story, let's look at it in its totality in Luke 10, starting in verse number 30. In reply... To this man's question, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he went and helped him. Whoa, wait a minute. That's not what it says. No. And, and when he saw the man, he felt really bad. No, no, that's not what it says. It says, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
and a story. Until another man comes by. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, what did he do? He passed by on the other side. Anybody ever do that? Oh, you mean that car that I just drove by and said, oh yeah, they got a cell phone. I'm sure they're good, right? Maybe if I get past far enough, you know, and they get so far behind, I'll just forget about them, right? No, let's just keep going our story. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. And he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Then Jesus asked a very important question. Do you see it there? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? You see what Jesus did? For those who have ever wrestled, he pulled a reversal. You get points for that, I think, if I remember wrestling. He pulled a reversal, didn't he? What was the original question? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus flipped it over. And he said, who are you being a neighbor to? That's the real question that we need to get to. We want to be in control of who we love. My neighbor needs to become anyone that God puts in my pathway that I can help. In the story, the religious person, both of them, they acted contrary to love, but sad to say, in complete alignment with everyone's expectation of them. And sad to say, calling yourself a Christian sometimes does the same thing for you. And I'm not saying don't call yourself a Christian. I'm saying we need to be known by love. But the Samaritan... He acted in love and went against all expectation because the expectation for him was to walk by on the other side. And he refused to do that. Instead, he took pity, is what he did. So, who's your neighbor? Needs to change. Needs to flip. To who are you being a neighbor to? Who is it? Like I said, Let's keep this out of the theoretical and keep it in reality, all right? You'll find a diagram like this right on the front of our website. If it's a helpful tool, I'd say go ahead and use it. If you want a secret, all it is is a fancy tic-tac-toe board. So if you know how to draw one of those, you can do that on a napkin, all right? But we need to know who our neighbors are, right? If we're going to be neighborly. I got some great neighbors one guy, I don't know him all that well, I need to. As I'm preparing for this message, in fact, I'm getting a little convicted about how much I need to get to know him. This guy, every winter, sets up a temporary ice rink in his backyard for his kids to play hockey. And then he tears it down in the spring and plants grass. I'm like, I need to get to know this guy. This guy loves his kids. Man, I can't even imagine that. 
I've got another lady. She's a widow. There's been times that we've gone over to help mow her lawn because she wasn't able to do it for herself. I've got a young couple that moved in not too long ago also. Great, young kids. See them driving around. Need to get to know them a little bit more. Maybe it's not in your neighborhood, or maybe it is just across the wall or across the hallway for you in the dorm room, wherever it may be. Who's your neighbor? Maybe it's a place that you frequent quite often. You know, I am a fan of Starbucks. I also love this place in Muskego called Vintage Grounds. I go hang out there, and I met a guy there, in fact. Strike up a conversation with him. Talk a little bit. He's retired right now. Great opportunity there to chat with him and be neighborly. All with the hope that maybe someday I could share the message of Jesus with, with these people. And to find out what it is that they could use or need. And how I can be that neighbor. I've got a friend as well who helps us out every year at Muskego at some of the outreaches that we do. And I have hopes that sometime through that friendship, he'll come to know Jesus, in fact. But I want to love him as Jesus asks me to love, in fact. And that's an important thing as well. And to see those things happen. We have great friends. My wife has given piano lessons to their kids. And at some point they said, hey, we need a good church to go to. You know of any? They've been coming to Fox River for years now. Then we need a couple free spaces, right? We need a couple places where God brings someone in need across your path. You might not even know their name. You may never get to know their name. But all that you do is get to know that they're in need. You see, there were some elements that were very much the same for all these people in this story. Or I should say the three, right? And there are requirements for us to love our neighbor. What does being a neighbor really require? All of them got the first one, and it was this, simply this. We need to see. We have to see all three, the two religious and the one Samaritan, they all saw the need. Every one of them did. But with two of them, it stopped there. In fact, they didn't like what they saw, and so they got it out of their sight as soon as they could. And that's where their journeys diverge. You see, this, the Samaritan went on with the other two requirements. Because for us to love our neighbor, we have to go beyond seeing, and we have to feel you see, that was the big difference here. It says the Samaritan felt pity. He let what went through his eyes penetrate his heart. Many times it says Jesus would look on the crowds and he would have compassion on them. He'd be overwhelmed by that compassion. Do you allow what you see to sink into your heart? Are you afraid to let it sink into your heart? Because then you might need to have the third requirement. And that is we need to act. You see, action is when we allow what has sunk into our hearts to actually go through our hands and our feet. The Samaritan bandaged the wounds. He took him to an inn. He paid for future expenses. I don't know about you. You might be saying, this is overwhelming. We need Jesus. 
if we're going to do the number one thing. We need Jesus to help us with it. How do I love even my neighbors? Where do I even start? How do I know what they need? You want a starting point? Ask. Ask God. Pray. Ask him how you can love your neighbor. And then if it isn't obvious, go ask them. And it will become obvious. They might say no, so you might have to pry. But you will find, if you observe long enough, that you will see a need that you can meet. And God will use you in greater ways than you could ever imagine. As we pray in just a moment, I want to ask you, will you make a commitment to being a neighbor? And I don't mean just living beside somebody. Would you choose and ask God to help you to see the need of one? Who's that one neighbor that tomorrow you can meet that need and you can show love to them? I want to ask you to make that commitment to him as we pray. Would you pray with me? Lord God, help us. It can be overwhelming, Lord, as we've learned in this series, Lord, to focus on one thing above all else, Lord then to come to the realization we're going to fall short. Help us, God, to make that commitment to love like you have loved us first. With heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I need to make that commitment. I've got some loving to do. I love God, but I need to love my neighbor. I need to be that kind of neighbor. Would you say, that's me. I just want to commit to God that I'm going to do that just with a raised hand. It's about eyes closed. You may be here. And I said, it starts with Jesus. We need to experience his love. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ or realized and experienced the love that he has for you, but now you're coming to that realization that he died for you. And if you're ready to trust him, would you pray right now to receive him? Just something, a prayer as simple as this, dear God, I believe that out of your love, you sent Jesus, your son, to come to this earth, to die on the cross. And because his blood was shed and his body was broken, I could be saved from my sin. And I want to receive that gift here today, right here and right now. If you prayed that prayer, you say, Pastor, that's my prayer today. Would you just raise your hand? Say, that's me. I'm trusting Christ today. Thank you. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you for the love that you showed us first so that we could show it to others. We praise you for being a loving God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged today. Subscribe to the Fox River Podcast to ensure you don't miss future messages. Stay connected through our social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, make a difference in the lives of those you know by sharing with them. We are grateful for you and hope you join us again soon.